I skipped the scriptures, tripped over my pride, face to the floor, running at a pace I couldn't keep anymore. Here I am, I'm yours. Here I am, I'm yours. Hope of the world. Between two thieves, hope for the lost. For you and me, there's room at the table, and I know that he's able to set captives free, because he saved me, gave me a new name. See, I was running from my old pain until he paves me a new lane. This is divine invitation. This is nothing is wasted. Taste and see that he is good, the God who raised up. And if he did it for me, he could do it for you. New life awakened, new life awaiting. I'm free. I'm free, I'm whole. Everything is different now that I met you. I made bread new. You saved my soul. I'm never letting go.
You know, that song is the story of literally thousands of people that call City First Church home. At one point, they were running and they were searching, but then they found true peace and rest when they found a relationship with Jesus Christ. And here, we're celebrating Easter this weekend. And you might not be familiar with the story, and so this is really what it is. It's more than a story, it's actually a historical event that changed the entire world, that changed billions of people's lives. And that is that Jesus, who claimed to be the Son of God, he was crucified on what we now call Good Friday, and he died for our sin. Now, sin is a heavy word. I mean, it's, it's a weighty word. It, it kind of maybe makes people feel a little uncomfortable, but really what sin means is this. It means that we miss the mark. In other words, we're aiming for a target and we don't hit it. And all of us, we miss the mark when it comes to not living a perfect life. God is perfect, and unfortunately, we are not. And so we have a debt to pay when there's a wrong that has to be righted. And so God knew that, and so what he did is he sent his son to die and pay the debt for our wrong. And then on Easter Sunday, this Sunday, what we celebrate Easter Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead, and he proved that he was who he said he was. He is the Son of God, the risen Savior, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. That's the power of resurrection, the power of Easter. Do you know that over 500 people were eyewitnesses to Jesus being alive again after he had died? 500. That is amazing. It means that it's legit. It means that it's fact. It means that it's historical. And that is the centerpiece of our faith, that the empty tomb gives us a full life. So what's the big deal about Easter how does that pertain to you and I in 2023? Well, it means this, that our old life, you know, the life that's imperfect, it can be forgiven because of the work of the cross. And we have a new life because of the work of resurrection. Old life gone, new life has come because of Jesus and a relationship with him. And because of him, we can have a forgiven life. So before I take a few minutes here and talk today, um, I just want to pray for us and just pray that we understand the real reason behind Easter. It's more than just a holiday. It's something that literally is the centerpiece of our life. And we don't just celebrate Easter, we live it. So let's bow our heads. Can we do that? Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for Easter. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the fact that the tomb is empty and that means we can have a, a full life and, and a full future. Thank you that we can have a relationship with the God that created us. That, that, that You aren't a million miles away somewhere, but rather you are right here with us. We thank you for the miracle of Easter. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, put your hands together one more time for our risen Savior, right? So uh, on the topic of running, I, I hate running, personally. I hate running. Um, I was, I, I played soccer for many, many years, and in high school I played soccer, and our coach would have us scrimmage, which I loved, and did drills, which I tolerated, but then would make us run, and I hated the running part, like we just have to run the field, back and forth and back and forth. 
And he was also the track coach. Since soccer is a fall sport, he would always ask if I would then go out for track. He's like, hey, in the spring, why don't you go out for track? And I was like, coach, I love you. I just don't want to do it. I hate running. If I'm going to run, I want to run with a purpose, like try to score a goal. I don't want to just run in circles around a track. Now, I'm not trying to offend anybody that went out for track, all right? It just was not for me. But the older I got, the more I realized that you just, in life, you just kind of never stop running. Like you run to the grocery store, you run to the mall, you run the kids to school, then you run the kids from school to practice, and then you run them to the game. You run to this meeting and that meeting, you race to work. In fact, maybe that's why we are called the human race. It feels like we're always running Some would even call it a rat race, right? You ever heard that term before? It means that you just run after success, you run after money, you run after happiness or other people's attention or a right relationship you think is going to complete you or whatever. It's like running, 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 running. And many of us are just trying to keep up in this human race. Like after we get done racing and running through our days, what do we do? We lay our head on the pillow at night And then our minds are racing, and our hearts are racing. It's like we never stop running. And you think about all the stuff that you have to do every single day, all the pressure that you carry, whether it be parenting, whether it be your friendships, your relationships, your career, whatever it is, you're carrying all this weight, and yet we're running, running, running all the time. I don't know about you, but there's times that I'm like, Gosh, I'd like to stop running. I'd like to actually start sitting for a little while, like, like catch my breath kind of thing. In the Easter story, there's something that's a common theme that you may have never noticed before, and, and it may have never even been preached on before in a church service that you've attended, if you ever even attended a church service. But today I want to talk about it. The common theme is this. There's a lot of running. You may have never noticed this before, but everyone is running in the Easter story. Everyone. Let me show you what I mean. On Good Friday, Jesus is, uh, is arrested by this point. Um, it actually took place on Thursday. He was arrested. But, but he's arrested in the garden. On Good Friday, he is nailed to the cross. But he's in the garden beforehand, and this mob comes to, like, surround him. And the disciples are there with him, and it says in Matthew chapter 26, then Jesus addressed the, the mob, what is this coming out after me with swords and clubs as if I were a dangerous criminal? Day after day, I've been sitting in the temple teaching, and you never so much as lifted a hand against me. Now, this is the important part I want you to, to, to notice here. The disciples, like Jesus' friends that are with him, says then all the disciples cut, and what's that word in red? Ran. They took off. They started running. They, they ran for their lives. They were scared of the mob. You know, it's interesting. In life, in 2023, fear can make us run. Fear can make us run. And, you know, boy, I tell you, there's been a lot of fear over the last few years in our world. Fear of a virus, fear of what happens to to our, our culture after the virus hit, um, how it shifted the psyche of our nation and our world. Like, there's all kinds of fear going on. And even after the pandemic, there's still fear. The economy is fragile. Some people are freaking out about that. Stock market is all over the place. Our 401ks are going down. And all this stuff, right? Or, or 
it seems like the future is daunting right now. And I don't know about you, and maybe I'll get a little bit of a vote here to see if I'm the only one, but if you agree with me that it seems like right now the world is crazy, just like raise your hand and wave it, right? Doesn't it feel like the world's crazy? Like, don't you watch the news or get online sometimes and you're like, we've lost our minds. We've literally lost our minds. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of fear. There's also been a significant uptick in anxiety and depression, like literally hockey stick growth. I mean, just woo, like this. And so we need to ask ourselves a question. This morning on Easter morning, I want you to answer this question to yourself. What am I really afraid of? What am I really afraid of? Because if you can objectively answer that question, you'll also be able to see the reason why you make certain decisions think certain things, or make certain choices. Let me give you an example. If you are afraid of loneliness, then you are going to run after relationships that you think will complete you. Or, conversely, if you're afraid of being hurt, you're going to run from relationships, right? You're like, I'm not going to let anybody get close to me. Or, if you're afraid of not having enough, you might chase after money or something you think is going to give your life stability and safety. Or if you're afraid of facing reality, then maybe you're just going to like entertain yourself or you might even chase after some sort of a vice, something that will numb you, some sort of a substance or something like that. Or if you're afraid of confrontation, you might run from honest conversations. You see, all of us have a core fear. And some of us in here are like, I'm not afraid of anything. Well, maybe you're afraid of looking afraid. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but we're all afraid of something. Fear really does make us run. Back to the Easter story, Jesus is arrested. He's put in front of a kangaroo court. He's falsely accused. He's beaten. He's nailed to a cross on Good Friday. And the Bible says that he was hanging on the cross for hours and he became thirsty and he's crying out in agony. The crucifixion process was actually the most painful way to die in its era. Like man had invented this crucifixion process and it was so painful that even the word excruciating, the word that we use today, excruciating, actually, if you trace it back in history, it comes from the pain felt as one was being crucified. So Jesus is in a lot of agony and a lot of pain and he's thirsty. And it says this in Matthew 27, some bystanders heard him cry out because he was saying he's thirsty. And they said, oh, he's calling for Elijah. Well, who's Elijah? Elijah is an Old Testament prophet. The Jewish people kind of looked at him as a patriarch, you know, somebody, a patriarch in their faith. So they were mocking him and they're like, oh, he's just calling out for Elijah. Then one of the people that were mocking him, one of them, what's that word say in red? Ran. Here we are, we're running again ran and got a sponge soaked in sour wine and lifted it on a stick so that he could drink. The others joked, don't be in such a hurry. In other words, don't go get him a drink. Let's see if Elijah comes and saves him. Now, a little bit of historical context here. This uh, sour wine was kind of a common drink of the day. And ins instead of like the wine that we drink in America that many times makes us sleepy, it did the exact opposite. It actually made you awake and aware. It was kind of like drinking a Red Bull. It made you like kind of wake up. So what's really happening here is that the people that are mocking Jesus, they don't want him to go in and out of consciousness because of the pain. They want him to be fully awake. It's pretty sadistic. 
It's pretty, it's pretty mean. And that's how mean these people were. But what's so interesting is, it's just a few days earlier on what we now call Palm Sunday, a few days earlier, Jesus is riding into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. He's riding in and they are cheering for him. They're laying down palms. They are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're calling him a king. They're celebrating him. And now just days later, they're cursing him, hitting him. They're wanting to see more pain inflicted upon him. You know, that's what a crowd does. A crowd loves you one day and hates you the next. And here are these people that are now standing around the foot of the cross, mocking Jesus. They're just following the crowd. They're just trying to fit in. You know what makes us run in 2023? When you try to people-please, people-pleasing can make us run. And some of us, we spend a lot of energy and time trying to please people around us. Maybe a boss, maybe a spouse, maybe, you know, parents, maybe kids, maybe neighbors, maybe people we don't even know. I don't know, but we're trying to, we're trying to impress others. We're trying to make them like us. We're doing all kinds of things. We're saying things we don't believe. We're doing things we don't want to do, all because we want to feel good about ourselves. Social media is made this go to a new level, right? I mean, like you take a picture of the cake that you baked or the new boat you got or your family, like your kids were all like punching each other out, but for that minute, that millisecond, you got them to smile at the camera and you got it and then you post it and you're like, happy Easter. <laughs> but deep down on the inside, you know that what you're posting out there ain't real life, Right? But why you do it? Well, you do it because you want people to think like, wow, look at this picture, and maybe you want to impress people, or maybe you just want to show people like the good side of your life, right? Not necessarily the ugly side or the bad side. We do this all the time, even at work. At work, we try to come across like we, we know what we're doing, even though we feel like we're maybe sinking, and we feel like we can't keep up to the workload, right? But we're like, you know, people ask, how you doing? And you're like, great, never been better. And deep down on the inside, you're like going, I'm losing my mind right now. But we don't want to portray that we're weak. Maybe even at school, for those of you at school, you try to dress a certain way, wear a certain type of Jordans, do whatever it takes so that people think you're cool. Again, we spend a lot of money, we do a lot of things, and psychologists and counselors would say that sometimes we can suffer what is called imposter syndrome. Well, what's imposter syndrome? It's when you do all these things to make people think that you're a certain way, but deep down on the inside, you feel like it isn't true. In other words, you say to yourself maybe, if people knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. So what we do is we put on a facade, right? We all do this to a certain extent. We run, we run, 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 spend lots of money, do all kinds of things to help people think we're important or like us. People-pleasing can be absolutely exhausting. Back to the story, Jesus, the Bible says that around 3 p.m. in the afternoon, 3 p.m. in the afternoon, he says three words that literally change the universe. He says, it is finished. What does that mean? It means his mission is complete. He paid the ultimate price for all of our debt that, that we have because of our sin, that we owe so much because you and I are not perfect. God is perfect. We're not. And Jesus filled in the gap with love. He died on a cross, basically paying the debt for our wrongdoing because every wrong needs to be righted. 
So he did that at about 3 p.m. He breathed his last breath. He said those words. And in Jewish tradition, usually around dusk on Friday to dusk on Saturday, 24 hours, they have a thing called Sabbat, which basically is translated in English as Sabbath, that they do not work. They rest. They hang out with their family. And this is based on an Old Testament command. Well, if Jesus dies at 3, they only have a little bit of time before dusk, and they need to get the body down from the cross. They need to get the body prepared for burial and put it in a grave. And that's what they did, and they hurried, and they just did the best that they could, and they put him in a tomb. And the tombs back then, many times they were carved out of the side of a hill, like a little cave, had a very small entrance, and they put the body in there, and then they'd roll a stone in front of the entrance. And they did this before Sabbath started. The body was there all day on Saturday, and then early on Easter morning. The Bible says before dawn, the women came, led by a lady by the name of Mary. It says early in the morning, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone was moved from the entrance. She was actually going there to finish preparing the body for burial, to do it right. So what does she do? It says that she, what's that word? Ran, right? Here we are, we're running again in this story. Ran at once to Simon Peter. This is the disciple Peter, the apostle Peter. And the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, John, gasping for breath, she announced, they took the master from the tomb and we don't know where they put him. You know what this tells me? As humans, loss can make us run. When we lose something, Lose something important, lose somebody important. When we're heartbroken, when we're disappointed, we have doubt, sometimes anger. Guess what? We want to run. We live in a hopelessly broken world. I know you all know that. I'm preaching to the choir, as they say right now. You know that this world is screwed up. And there's a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of evil, a lot of bad things, a lot of sickness And things happen that I don't understand. And as a pastor, many times people come to me and they'll say, why did this happen? Why didn't God intervene? Whatever it is. And you know, a lot of times I'm like, I I don't know. Let me ask this question. Have you ever been disappointed in life? (laughs) Well, the answer is, of course. If you haven't, you haven't lived long enough. You'll be disappointed with life at some point. But here's another question. Have you ever been disappointed with God? Now, you don't want to answer that. You're in church. You're kind of like, I'm just going to wait and not say anything. But deep down on the inside, let me answer for you. You probably have been disappointed with God. Um, I've been disappointed with God from time to time. Why? Because I had an expectation of what he was going to do. I had a prayer request that I felt like he didn't answer. I had a scenario in my mind of how life was supposed to go, and it did not go that way. And so... I like will say, God, why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you, you know, do something about this? God, why? And I have a lot of why questions, and I get disappointed with God sometimes. I work through that, but you know what? I think that's that's human because sometimes things happen in this life we can't reconcile with our limited knowledge. We know that God is good. And I'm by no means saying that God made a mistake or he is not good, but we just don't understand. If you've ever felt that way, I will tell you that's exactly how the disciples felt. That they saw their Savior. 
The Jesus that they followed for three years who did miracles, who said he was the son of God, who even raised the dead, who said he was the the one that was the Messiah, they dropped everything, their careers, their ambitions to follow him for three years. They were ridiculed by their family members and by their friends and they were mocked and guess what? They kept following Jesus because they trusted him, they believed what he said and now he's dead. And now his body is missing. And don't tell me that those disciples weren't feeling like sometimes we feel. We probably felt the same way as they did and they us. They probably looked and they said, did he lie to us? Did God not keep up with his word? We followed him. We gave everything, like away. We We followed Jesus and now he's dead. They are heartbroken. They are hurt. And so many times that happens to us too. You know, we run from God when we have loss. We run from God when we're disappointed. Maybe we try to run the things that are going to make us happy or we think will make us happy. We'll give us stability. We'll be our source. You know, in churches, um, like this one even, Churches always focus on Good Friday, the day that Jesus died on the cross, and then they skip over Saturday and they go right to Sunday and they talk about resurrection. But you don't hear many churches or pastors talk about the middle ground, and that is Saturday. You know why? This is what happened on Saturday. Nothing. Nothing happened. There's not much to preach about. You know what the the disciples did? Is, Is they hid. They cried. They were heartbroken. They were fearful that maybe the people that killed Jesus would come after them. They hid and nothing happened. And I thought about this earlier this week. I thought, gosh, in life, we live many times in Saturday. We experience great loss on Friday. And our prayers have not been answered yet like on Sunday. Resurrection's not happened. The miracle's not happened. Where are we in life, in this world? We're stuck in Saturday. We're stuck in confusion. We're hiding. We're not showing who, what we really feel or what we really think. We're hiding from each other. We're hiding from God. We, we are shattered, heartbroken. We can't make sense of what has happened. Why did this loss happen? And yet we haven't seen the answer to prayer yet. We haven't seen the miracle. Resurrection hasn't happened. We live in Saturday. Loss can make us run. Mary has informed the disciples the body is gone. So what, what happens next in the Easter story? Well, you probably could guess it. More running. More running. It says in Luke chapter 20 that Peter jumped to his feet and what did he do? Come on, let's all say it. Ready? One, two, three. Ran. He ran to the tomb. He wanted to see with his own eyes. He stooped to look in. So again, remember the entrance was very, very low. He had to, he had to kind of like look in. He stooped and looked in and all he saw were the grave clothes that they wrapped Jesus' body in real quickly on Friday. That's all they saw. And then it says that he walked away puzzled and shaking his head. Lastly, you know what? Searching can make us run. We're all searching for something, right? We're searching for purpose, maybe. Maybe we're searching for the right person. We're searching for hope. We're searching for happiness. Maybe we're searching for identity. Whatever it is, we run after relationships. We run, you know, after another high. Some of us are just running to the weekend. Get me to Friday. Get me to Friday. I hate my job. I'm running to Friday, right? Or maybe 
we're running for accomplishments or reputation. Here's what I could sum it up as. We're really just searching for more. More than what we got, more than what we're feeling, more than what we're experiencing. Many times, though, like Peter, as we are running and searching, we just walk around puzzled and shaking our heads going, it doesn't feel like I'm finding. I'm running, but I'm not finding. See, when running after what we think will satisfy us, when we do finally, in a sense, find that thing or what we think is that thing or that person, it's kind of like the empty tomb. It doesn't really fill us up all the way. So again, we, we run because we're fearful. We run because sometimes we're trying to please people. We run because we've lost something, and we run because we're searching for more. We're just doing a lot of running. You know what the problem with running in this human race is? You know what the problem is? Is that we become exhausted from all the running. Just tired. I talk to a lot of people, and people tend to be somewhat honest with pastors, and I would say eight out of every 10 people I talk to recently even six months ago, a year ago, three years ago. I talked to people, eight out of 10 of them are just tired. They're tired of their jobs. They're tired of the battles in their family. They're tired of the financial crisis they're in. They're tired of, of striving. They're tired of the stress of their job or their career or their career training or schooling. They're just tired. And I thought about this. I thought, you know what? It's a tired that an eight hours of good sleep can't fix. It's a tired that even a good vacation can't all the way fix. Now, it helps, but you know what? It's actually more than a tired. It's a depletion. We feel depleted on the inside. And so we can keep running and just becoming more depleted, or maybe we can stop and see things a little bit differently on this Easter in 2023. On the original Easter, something happened interesting as Peter ran to the tomb. Uh, the Bible infers that, that Mary followed him back. So she had already been there, didn't see the body, ran back, told the disciples. And as the disciples ran, that she followed. And now she's back at the tomb. And it says this, the disciples went back home. So they took off after looking in the tomb and seeing nothing but the grave clothes. But Mary stood. So in other words, she's like, I'm done, I'm done running. I'm tired. I'm tired of running. And she was there weeping, it says. As she wept, listen, she didn't run. It says that she knelt to look into the tomb. So it's more than just like Peter who just peeked in real quick. We get the impression that literally Mary went down to her knees at the entrance to this tomb and wept. So she stopped running, she knelt, and it says this, she looked up into the tomb and she saw two angels sitting there dressed in white. So she saw something, once she stopped running and she knelt, she saw something that the others didn't see. And they asked her, woman, why are you weeping? Why do you weep? And she answers back, well, they took my master. And I don't know where they put him. After this, it says that she turned away. So in other words, she's kneeling. She's looking in the tomb. She sees the angel. She doesn't know they're angels. She doesn't know what they are. 
They ask her a question, she answers, and at this point, she kind of like shifts position and she looks over in this direction and says, she turned away and saw Jesus there, but she didn't recognize him. She's probably crying so much she can't see real clearly. Jesus spoke to her and said, woman, why do you weep? And listen to his question. Who are you looking for? It's a really good question. One that maybe Jesus is even asking us today. Who are you looking for? What are you looking for? You're running. You're running around. You're running like crazy. You're tired. What are you looking for? She, thinking it was the gardener, said, huh, sir, if you took him, in other words, if you took the body, can you tell me where you put him so I could care for him? In other words, she's like, I'm here to prepare the body for burial in a proper way. And at that point, Jesus did this, called her name and said, Mary. Turning to face him, she said in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. And so at that moment, when Jesus called her name, when she had stopped running, when she started kneeling, when she kind of gave up in some ways, she's like, I'm sick of running. I'm sick of this, and I'm just going to kneel here for a moment. Jesus calls her name. And how does that apply to us? Well, I think when we stop running and we kneel, that's when we find Jesus. And when we find Jesus, we find unconditional love, which means that you and I can't earn it. We can't earn our way into good standing with God. We find unconditional love. We find forgiveness. We find peace. We find joy. We find hope. We find purpose. All the things we've been running, looking for, we find all those things in a person. Man, I'm here to tell you, on Easter Sunday, I'm here to say resurrection is for people who are tired of running. They're tired of running. They're just like, I give up on the running thing, this rat race, this human race. And please do not mistake, I'm not talking to you today as a pastor from a position of perfection. No way. I'm talking to you from a place of experience because before I was a pastor, and before I even was a Christ follower, before I even started following Jesus, before I made him the leader and the forgiver of my life, I was running, running, running. I was running after all the things that culture said would make me happy. Money, the right relationships, popularity, accomplishment, reputation, sex, vices, all the things. I did it for years, for years. In fact, it's kind of funny. I'll meet people in Rockford where I live and, and they hadn't seen me in like years and they're like, you're a pastor now, you know? It's like, there is a God. <laughs> well, it's because I was chasing all these things and guess what? I was running I was never finding. Finally, someday, one day, somebody told me about Jesus and said, you know what? Jesus wants you to quit running after all these things he loves you. He died for you. I know you don't feel like you're worthy of going to church or to, you know, be a, a Christ follower or everything because you, you didn't earn it, but nobody earns it. Nobody's worthy. Jesus died to make us worthy. He died so that our sin would be forgiven so that we could have the relationship we were originally designed to have. And so on this Easter Sunday, my question is, do you want a new life? It's not going to be a perfect life, 
okay? We don't live in a perfect world, and you're not perfect. You're not committing to be perfect, but you are saying, I want a new life who comes from a perfect God. A new life. I want to turn from my old life. I want a new life. I want to quit running. I want to start finding. Do you want your sin forgiven? Do you want to discover your God-given purpose because he designed you on purpose and for a purpose? Do you want heaven as your home someday? If that's you, then you know what? All you have to do is stop running and start listening to God who's calling your name just like he called my name and Mary's 2,000 years ago. Now listen, don't get me wrong. He didn't go, Jeremy, or anything like that. That would have freaked me out. That's, that's not what he did. How do you call your name, Jer? Right in here. It's that nudge. It's that thing that some of you are feeling right now. You're like, gosh, it's like he's talking right to me. No, 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 no. I'm not talking to you specifically. God is talking to you. He loves you. He created you. Do you know the Bible says that he even knows the number of hairs on your head and he thinks as many thoughts about you during a day as there are granules of sand on a seashore. It means he loves you. He created you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He's not a thousand miles away. He's with you. You may not feel him, but he's with you. But right now, some of you are like going, I, I, I sense like, like this love. I sense maybe this, this need to give my life to him. That's Jesus calling your name. Make him the leader and the forgiver of your life. And you say, okay, how do I do that? Well, it's as easy as praying a prayer. I'm going to put it on the screen here in a moment. And as you pray this prayer, we're all going to pray it together, by the way. We're going to read this prayer together. I want you to personalize it. Don't just read the prayer just to read the prayer, okay? I mean personalize it. Make it you. In other words, say, God, I mean this. I'm not just praying a prayer. I want to turn from my own life. I want a new life. I want to quit running. I want to start finding. I want my sin forgiven. I want to have heaven as my home someday. And I want you, Jesus, to be the leader of my life. That's what this prayer basically does. It doesn't mean you're joining a church today. It has nothing to do with denominations. It doesn't have to do anything with Catholic, Protestant, Lutheran, Baptist, Presbyterian, whatever. It has nothing to do with that. This is about you becoming a child of God. He loves you. He created you. And sin stands between you and him. And you're saying, because Jesus becomes the leader of my life, that sin is erased. And now I have a relationship with God. So here's the prayer right here. And I'm going to have us all pray it together out loud, okay? And I'm going to say it, but I want you to say it with some volume. But as we read it, I really encourage you, make this personal, and God is listening to your voice. Yes, he's listening to the person next to you, but he's listening to you too. And he loves you, he knows you, he created you, and he's excited about you praying this prayer because he wants a relationship with you and to spend eternity with you in heaven someday. So let's read this prayer together and put a little bit of volume under it so I'm not just saying it by myself. Ready? Here we go. God, today I choose to follow Jesus. I accept your unconditional love for me. Forgive me for my sin. I want to stop running. I want you to run my life. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said real loud, amen. Come on, put your hands together for everybody that prayed that prayer.
Yeah. Before we sing one last song, and Jen and I will come up and dismiss, let's go ahead and just bow our heads for a second. If you say, I, um, I prayed that prayer and I meant it. No one's looking. Okay, I'll look if that's all right. But no one's looking. If you say, I prayed that prayer and I meant it. I really meant it. I asked for forgiveness and I want Jesus as the leader of my life. If that's you, just put up your hand and put it right back down. Yeah, hands are up everywhere. I guarantee you at every location, even our correctional centers, online in living rooms, I guarantee you people put their hands up. Lord, thank you for everybody that put their hand up. Thank you that today is the beginning of a new life. Thank you that we don't have to be perfect because you're perfect. Thank you that you love us unconditionally, which means we can't earn it. We don't deserve it, but you love us. You, you died for each and every one of us. If we were the only person on the face of the earth, you would have died for us. Lord, that's how much you care and you love us and you want to have that relationship. Today, those people that prayed that prayer and personalized it, they begin that new life. Thank you, Lord God, that even though we live in this hopelessly broken world, it seems like it's full of Saturdays of confusion. Sunday is coming. That, Lord, answer prayer is coming. That someday we're going to be in heaven with you. That's coming. And thank you that we don't have to run anymore. The devil is the only thing, the only one that has to run because he's fearful of what you have done. Lord, thank you, God, that you saved us. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. dawns in Galilee Some say madman, some say king Wonder-working rebel priest Jesus Christ the Nazarene He knew where would he would take us all from sin and grave. A perfect man would have to die, and only he could pay that price. Friday's good cause Sunday's coming. Don't lose hope cause Sunday's coming. Till your tiny bits are running Friday's good cause Sunday's coming So I let those soldiers take him in As his friend betrayed him with a kiss And there before the Ground. Like a lamb to the slaughter didn't make a sound Then he carried that cross to Calvary And he shed his blood to set us free As the nails went in and the sky went dark The redemption of the world Oh
Yeah. 